Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Well, good Sunday to you guys at Victory Church. Those of you watching online, we have people watching uh, from all over the world. We welcome you. Uh, we have a lot of people. We hear from you every week um, that call this place their church home. I received a letter just this week about a family in Texas who calls this their church home. And so we love you. We honor you. We welcome you today. Edmund Campus, as always, you are so loved. Um, uh, you are so appreciated. It's an honor to be with you today. Uh, I, real quick before I jump into my sermon, I want to thank all of you, uh, uh, for those of you who knew, that have been praying for my dad. My dad uh, had a, a, a pretty bad accident a couple of weeks ago on a bicycle, uh, just, a, just a kind of a freak accident, and uh, had a helmet on, but his helmet slipped a little bit as he was falling, and he hit his head on the concrete and had a severe, not a severe, a, a minor brain injury, and had actually had two brain bleeds. Um, on his head and it's swelling in his brain. He broke eight ribs, <laughs> which sounds painful. Uh, he broke his clavicle. He, uh, he just scarred up and scratched up all over the place. And he's been in the hospital for quite some time. And just last night at 9 p.m., he got to go home. So that's awesome. So those of you who have been praying for him, uh, thank you. Uh, he's, he's on the mend. He's doing well. Uh, he, he still has a long way to go in his healing, so pray that his, his mind would continue to fully be restored, and uh, his, his broken ribs and all the, the brokenness in him, we believe that uh, he is healed in Jesus' name. Uh, God can renew everything. He is, he is a God that does that. So thank you for your prayers in that way. I appreciate that very much. Let me, let me jump right in here today. We've been in this uh, season called Who Am I? And we've, we've talked about several things, really one thing in particular, if you remember, we've been talking and focusing in on this thing called the orphan heart. And I pray that's blessed you, I pray that's challenged you and made you think differently uh, about who you are, but also about who God is. If you really want to have a healthy view of who you are, you really start with a healthy view of who God is, that God is a heavenly father who loves you and that you're a son and a daughter and that you don't have to live as an orphan. Jesus told us, we've talked about this at length, that he will not leave us as orphans. So we are sons and daughters, and we live that way. And so if you've missed any of those weeks, I encourage you to go back and, and review those. Today, I'm going to kind of continue this thought, uh, an aspect of this orphan heart. And I will say that this particular topic um, in this component is probably the place that God has dealt with me the most in this topic of the orphan heart. One aspect of the orphan heart that I want to talk to you about today is, is, this, is what I would kind of refer to as the disease to please. Uh, I want to confess to you that I am a recovering people pleaser. Any people pleasers in the house? You already know it. You know you are. You're not afraid to say it. Um, this, part, this side of the room was way more honest, Edmund, than this side of the room. I don't know how it was there. Uh, this side was way more honest. Uh, I think we all kind of struggle with this. There are some who just don't give a rip about anybody or anything. Uh, but there was, this was something that the Lord really began to deal with me in. And something that's really tricky you know, as a believer, uh, but also as a pastor, 
<laughs> we're kind of supposed to care about people. It's kind of a big deal, you know. Uh, but there's this tug of war within ourselves. And what I want to talk to you about today is when does it go from healthy to unhealthy? And, and when, when do I become a people pleaser for the wrong intentionalities, for the wrong purposes, and for the, for the wrong motives? Uh, this incessant need to reply to every email and to every text. And if you don't reply to the text, if there's no bubbles coming back up within 30 seconds of me texting you, then there's something wrong with you and you're mean and I judge you, you know? There's this, there's this desire that I need to meet the needs or meet the expectations of every single person around me and how, how dangerous they can be. Uh, and really, it boils down to this idea that we like to be liked. We like to be liked. And we should like to be liked. Uh, social media has not helped with this. There's this little thing called the like button. <laughs> you know, we, we've, changed this, we, we've changed this thing from being a verb to being a noun. Like, like is... is I want to get likes, you know? Like is supposed to be a verb, it's an action, but all of a sudden it's become a noun. I have to get more likes. And so we can very quickly and very easily slip into this thing that I would refer to as, as people-pleasing. So I really wanna unpack this for you today because God's really been dealing with me in this area and I pray that the Lord has revealed some things in the way he's convicted me that I, that I pray that I can share with you. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of John. Uh, flip over uh, or click over whatever device you have. Uh, John chapter 2 is where we're going to camp out today because something really cool happens here. This passage jumped off the screen at me uh, as I was reading it. And really, Jesus had this opportunity to be a people pleaser. He came to earth to serve people. And what we'll see in just a minute is people started flocking to Jesus. And so he had this opportunity to, to meet all of everyone's expectations. And I love this passage in verse 23 that we're going to unpack because it kind of shows this sort of his response to this. I love the way this, 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 uh, this reads. Verse 23 says this. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, now pause, at the Passover, people would come to Jerusalem from all over Israel to, to, to offer a sacrifice. So some scholars believe that millions of people would flock to Jerusalem. And it says, during the feast, many believed in his name and as they observed his signs which he was doing now this is where it gets very amazing watch this but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them that reads so beautifully it says because he knew all people and because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind for he himself knew what was in mankind. The title of my message today is, Help! I'm a people pleaser. Let's pray. Father, uh, we go into your word um, to learn, to receive, to be challenged. God, you're, you're, the word says that the, the Bible, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we know that with one edge of the sword, it defends the enemy. The other edge of the sword can also be a, a scalpel to my heart. And so what we pray today, Father, is that you would speak to us, show us, convict us, train us to be more Christ-like in every way. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I have a tendency to be bit with this disease, and um, God has been chiseling this away from my heart. And it's, it's been really challenging for me, um, and I've learned that I, over the course of a long, you know, many, many years, have become a people pleaser. Um, I think it's pretty easy um, to 
when you begin to learn how you become, become this thing, a people pleaser. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, if, if all I have to do is please five people, I can manage that. No big deal. But as influence grows, as your, your, your friendships grow, as, as you get older, you know more people, it's, it's pretty easy to please five people. What do I do when now I've got to please 50 people? And what happens when 50 turns to 100 and 100 turns to 200? And now I find these con conflicting moments throughout my life all of the time where I have to decide who I'm going to please. It's one thing to be a people pleaser and it's no big deal and everyone loves you and everything's happy. What happens when you have two people that need two different things and to meet your needs will, will not meet their needs and to meet their needs will not meet their needs? Now it's impossible to be a pleaser people of all. And the thing that I found is that the, this idea of people-pleasing, once it becomes an issue, will be the seed that creates anxiety. So if you begin to feel anxious about a situation or people, really this anxiety, what I feel like the Lord has shown me, is that what happens is when people-pleasing intersects with my values. Okay? Let me, let me, let me try to explain it this way. Um, if we have certain values, whether you know it or not, you have values, so let's say, let's say one, of, one of my values is I want to be a good dad, okay? And to be a good dad, I need to have a certain amount of time with my family, a certain amount of time with my kids, a certain amount of intimacy with my kids. So what happens is when, when someone's need for me intersects or conflicts with my ability to be a good dad, now anxiety rises up in me because I feel like I have to choose. And that's how I begin to identify that maybe I have a little bit of people pleaser in me because I'm actually tempted at times to meet the needs of a complete stranger over the needs of my own children. And this becomes a conflict in us. And this is really what people pleasing is. It's whenever I have to choose on who I'm going to please and the thought of having to choose that causes anxiety in me. It causes stress, it causes something to stir up uh, inside of me. So people pleasing, uh, here's, here's what really boggles my mind about people pleasing, and we'll get into more about this later. Uh, from the outside looking in, people pleasing can appear as servanthood. So if you see somebody who's just constantly meeting everyone's needs, you would think to yourself, wow, what a great person. What an amazing man or woman of God. What, what an amazing person this is. All the while, being a people pleaser, let me, just, let me say something bold, being a people pleaser is actually a selfish act. Being a, being a people pleaser is selfish because pleasing is, in reality, an attempt for the pleaser to feel valuable. Okay? So on the outside looking at my life, you might think, wow, John is just such a servant. He's, he's just doing so many things for so many people. What an amazing guy. But yet internally, I might be doing it to please myself because yes. I'm insecure and I want all y'all to like me. Yeah. Do you see the, the dichotomy here, the weird dichotomy that this can be? So, so what I want to unpack and what I want to talk about is how, does this, how can we do this in a healthy way? Okay, How, how can we un understand and identify when my desire to meet the needs of other people is unhealthy? Because really at its core... People-pleasing is rooted in insecurity, <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's rooted in a deep, deep, deep need for the approval of others, okay? So, it's quiet, it's okay. Um, AKA, 
an orphan heart. Because orphans need to be loved. They need to be accepted. I need to do whatever your expectations of me are so that you'll accept me, so that you'll love me, okay? So what I want to do is I want to, um, you know when you go to the doctor and the doctor will unpack, like ask you questions because the doctor is trying to identify your symptoms, trying to figure out what the problem is. I want to ask you five questions real quick. And nobody knows, you know, if I, if I step on your toes, just look at the screen. No one knows that I'm talking about you. Just say, amen, Pastor John. You get them. You get them. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you five questions, okay? And these five questions will help us identify whether or not we have people-pleaser tendencies. And then we're going to look at this passage that, of Jesus, and sh- I'll show you four remedies, okay? So five questions followed by four remedies. Here's the five questions. Number one, are you preoccupied with what other people might think? Um... <laughs> So, so the key in that is the preoccupied. So before you do something, you're preoccupied. Before I do the act, I want to process through how are people going to think about me when I do this. Now, there's measures of this that are healthy. You know, you should, should plan a little bit before you go say something stupid. I'm not saying that there's no planning. You're just off the, off the wall. But do you obsess over it? You know, if I wear this, what will this group think about me? If I say this, if I go here, if I do this, am I, am I consumed with what people think about me? Number two, do you have a hard time saying no? That's me. I have a, I have a really hard time saying no. I, I, I will say yes to things. How many of you do this before? Uh, hey, John, this thing's in four weeks. We'd love for you to be there. Sure, I'll be there. The day before, I'm like, oh, why did I say that I would be there? All the introverts said amen. They weren't the real introverts. The real introverts didn't say anything. <laughs> but by not saying no, did you, did you know that you can actually do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons? Okay, number three. Do you complain about being busy? Have you ever said, how are you doing to someone? And they say, I'm just kind of bored. No. If you ask anybody how they're doing, oh, I've just been really busy. It's like become this badge of honor in our culture. Like if you say I'm bored, they're like, oh my gosh, what a loser. You know? (laughs) So there's times where my, my calendar will get so insane busy. But when I look at my calendar, if I could, if I could be honest with myself and put check marks by everything that I'm doing to please other people, my calendar would be way less busy. So if your calendar is overwhelmingly busy, you might be a people pleaser. Okay. Number four, are you often overly sensitive to criticism? Now this this is kind of a, a weird one to think about, but it actually is, is, it actually is an indicator that you might be a people pleaser because you're so obsessed with what people think about you and you work really, really hard to make everybody like you that when you find out that when somebody doesn't like you, it wrecks you. Uh, I can preach a sermon and have 100 people say, that was an amazing sermon, John, but open up Facebook and see one negative comment about my sermon and I'll go, ooh, it's this oversensitivity to criticism. Like your boss may call you in and you think you've been crushing it and your boss is like, hey man, you've been doing good. 
but this, let, me tell, let me share this one thing with you about what I think you can do better as an employee. And you go home and you're like, I can't, can you believe this guy? I've been working my tail off. And he says, this is, if you're overly sensitive to criticism, there might be a little bit of people pleaser in you. Edmund, is it quiet there? Like, I don't know. Okay, number five. Do you often avoid conflict and difficult decisions? You know, somebody may either you're getting elbowed or you're elbowing yourself in your brain. This is an indicator that you don't want to have conflict because approaching conflict will cause someone to not like you, right? So these are just indicators. If you answered yes, or even maybe, or if somebody elbowed you in the side, <laughs> you may have people-pleaser tendencies, okay? Can I just comfort you by saying we all do? So don't beat yourself up. We all do. But there is a healthy way to approach this. And I believe we can learn it from these, 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 these scriptures from Jesus. So how do we overcome this people-pleaser mentality? Four remedies that I think Jesus shows us in this text. Let me go back to it and read verse 1. Verse 1 says in verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, again, we talk about this, it means there's a lot of people there. Okay? Now these, these words are key. And many believed in his name. And they observed his signs, which he was doing. Translated, a lot of people showed up. A lot of people were like, I like this Jesus guy. And you know what follows that? Everyone has expectations of Jesus. Everyone has requests of Jesus. Everyone has a need from Jesus. Jesus heals one guy that's crippled. Somebody in the crowd had to have been, hey, I got a cousin that's a little crippled. I bet you Jesus could heal him too expectation upon Jesus. Imagine if Jesus would have had to try to meet the needs and be a people pleaser to everybody in the crowd. So you see this, the, the, the stage has been set for Jesus to become a people pleaser. Many believed. So I want to talk about four things that Jesus did that I want to pull out of this text, okay? So the beginning of verse 24, there's just five words, but this is fascinating to me and it jumped off the page and I want to show it to you. Verse, 20, verse 24 says these first five words, but Jesus on his part... Now, standing alone, you're like, what does that mean? I don't really understand what that means. First start off that it starts with the word but. It means that there was an expectation put on Jesus. There's a lot of people there. A lot of people are believing in his name. A lot of people are wanting him to do something for him. And, but it says but. But. Okay? But Jesus knew his part. Jesus knew why he was on earth. He came to give his life as a ransom for us. Now imagine if he would have gotten distracted by everyone's needs, he may have lost the whole reason that he was put on the earth in the first place. So he knew his part. Point number one, if you're taking notes, know your role. You want to know how to get over the disease to please? Know why God has put you on this earth. Okay? What are your values? That's, that's part of the problem with, with us, myself included, us people pleasers, is we forget why we're here. And if we don't have a good purpose as to why we're here, we'll end up prioritizing the wrong things. I'll prioritize your needs over the needs of God that he's put on my life and my purpose on this earth. We have to know our role. Imagine in sports, any team sport, every person on the field or the court knows their role, right? Imagine a lineman in football. Lineman, for those of you that don't know, is the big guys that block, okay? 
Imagine if a lineman is, is on the line fixing the block and they say hike and he says, forget this. And he goes back and he goes like this to the quarterback. Give me the ball. I'm going. That would, that would not end well. The lineman says to himself, I don't really even know what's happening behind me. It's none of my business. I, my business, my purpose on this field is to guard this spot from this spot and to make sure that guy doesn't get past me. He knows his role. Do you know your role? What's your role? Uh, let's, let's say you're a father. That's part of your role. In fact, it's a really big part of your role. And so if your work, your calendar gets consumed with things that begin to impede upon your ability to be a good dad, you have crossed the line and you've become a people pleaser. Okay? Mothers, same thing. So, so, so know, know your priorities. I have to know that the first priority in my life is my relationship with the Lord. It's more important than my relationship with Michelle. It is. If my relationship's right with the Lord, my relationship with Michelle will be right. Okay? So, so my first priority is my relationship with the Lord. My second priority is my relationship with my spouse. My third priority is my relationship with my children. My fourth priority is being your pastor. Amen. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to, to practice this. I, um, I, had, I was leaving my house to go to, to Amarillo for a couple of day deal. And I told my son before I left, I said, son, when I get back, we're gonna have a dad Sunday. All, the whole day is yours, okay? I didn't even know what we were going to do, but we're going to do something, and it's just going to be me and you. I go to Amarillo. I'm driving back, and I get a call that somebody in the church had passed away, and they're asking me to do their funeral. I say, let me call you right back. I hang up the phone, and I am faced with the intersection of being a people pleaser, intersecting with my values. As a pastor, I want to do fun funerals. Like, I'm a pastor, right? And what will they think about me if their pastor refuses to do their funeral? I called back and I said, I can't do it. I'm spending the day with my son. I, I, I don't even remember what my son and I did. We probably did nothing important. Nothing important. But this was an exercise of me ridding myself of the need to be a people pleaser. Okay? You have to know your role. Why, why has God put you on this earth and know that what it is and guard it? Guard it. Okay? Some of you need to sit down with your spouse and sit down with your family and say, what are our values? What's our purpose on this earth? Write them down. Come into agreement as a spouse and say, these are what the reasons that God has put us on this earth. And anything that tries to impede on that is an attack from the enemy. This is why Nehemiah, when he's building the wall, Remember this story? And they tried to come against him. They said, hey, just come down and talk with us. And he said back to them, I will not come off this wall. The work is too important to be distracted by you. I, we must have the ability to let down people in order to lift up our values. 1 Thessalonians, watch what this verse says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. It says, aspire to lead a calm and peaceful life. As you mind, this is good, as you mind your own business. Mind your own business. 
What's your business? My business is being a son of God, husband to my wife, father to my kids, pastor to my church, president to my university. I know my business and anything that tries to impede upon my business is a direct conflict with why God has put me on this earth. And if that lets you down, bless your heart. You see what I'm saying? So we have to know our role. It goes on to say this. It says, just as we've taught you, by doing this, watch this, by doing this, you will live an honorable life influencing others. So you go from being influenced by other people to becoming an influencer. If I'll just focus on what God's called me to do and commanding respect of even unbelievers. And then you'll be in need of nothing and not dependent upon others. Know your role. Look at your neighbor and say, know your role. Okay, let's go on verse 24. It says, but Jesus on his part, he knew his role. And because he knew his role, watch these next words, was not entrusting himself to them. That's so good. It's good. Floyd, that's good. All right. This Greek word for entrusting is the Greek word pistuo, and it means to credit, to place confidence in. It's saying that Jesus did not put his confidence in his new fans. He had put his confidence in his heavenly father. That was all that mattered. Where did he put his confidence? Uh, to say it another way, so they had misplaced. He's saying Jesus did not misplace his confidence. Another way to say that is, is with, with this word confidence would be to say uh, he did not misplace his fear. Okay? Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Know whom to fear. Because really when you want to boil this thing down really to its core, us people pleasers, me and you, when we become people pleasers, we fear man more than we fear God. If you want to boil it down to the real gut punch, I'm more obsessed with fearing what you think about me than what God thinks about me. And this is such dangerous territory for all of us. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in and puts his confidence in the Lord will be exalted and safe. So when I wonder what people will think about me when I do an action, when I make a decision, when I do something, when I don't do what they ask me to do, when I don't reply to their texts, when I don't post on their social media page, when I don't call them every week and they think I'm supposed to call them every week, when I disappoint someone, I have to ask myself the question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Do I fear more what this person thinks about me than the one who really knows my heart, the Heavenly Father? Uh, I, I, I used to be, I'm going to confess something else to you. I used to be, when I first became a lead pastor for the first couple of years, I was literally obsessed with making sure people didn't leave the church. I mean, if, if we got an email, I would just be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Look, look, look. I would reply to an email at midnight if I had to. I would set up meetings. I would, any complaint, even as crazy as it was, it, I would just we'd have to deal with it because I don't want anybody to leave the church, right? God convicted me of this deeply because what I realized as a pastor, it's not my job to grow the church. As a pastor, my only job is to grow people. It's to grow people. So I had to unravel. This was part of the unraveling that God had to do in my heart. It was this obsessant need to please people. And that's hard for people pleasers. <laughs> We like to be liked. 
But it's part of this purification process that God had to unravel out of me. And, and what I begin to realize as I read through the Bible is that this is something that almost every character, every person in the Bible struggled with. Uh, Gideon was fearful. That's why he was threshing wheat in the wine press. He was afraid. Jonah was afraid of what people thought about him. Remember Jonah? God said, go to Nineveh. He's like, oh, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm afraid of those people. Gets on a boat, goes out and swallowed by a whale before he realizes he was in disobedience. He was afraid of what the people thought. Aaron was afraid of what the people thought. Moses went up to the mountain. Remember this? Did he get the Ten Commandments? And Aaron gets all nervous. Moses comes down and is like, Aaron, what's going on, man? Y'all are dancing around golden calves and you've melted down our earrings. I was afraid of what the people would do. Peter was afraid of people. Peter um, denied Jesus three times. He was around a campfire with some people, and they were like, aren't you that guy who was hanging out with Jesus? He was like, I don't know who Jesus is. He was more afraid of what people thought about him than what his master thought of him. So we're in good company here. Okay, so, uh, uh, Saul, King Saul, it's ex like scripture just straight out. Some of them are, are implied. Sometimes God just calls them straight out. He did this to Saul in, in 1 Samuel 15, 24. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Watch, I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. It's very dangerous territory, my friends, when we become more afraid of what a person thinks about us than what our creator thinks about us. And it's such an easy thing for us to, to, to slip into. We must become more bold. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? You're gonna fear God or you're gonna fear man? They're like, I oh, do whatever you want to to us. You wanna throw us in the fire, throw us in the fire. We don't fear you more than we fear our God. We will not bow our knee. This is the attitude that we must begin to, to have in our relationship. Psalm 27, one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom should I fear? The Lord is my defense in my life, whom should I dread? Let's keep going, verse 25. Verse 25 says, and because he did not need anyone to testify. Jesus didn't need anybody to testify about himself. This in and of itself is explicitly telling us that he did not care what other people thought about him. I don't, I don't need to te testify. This Greek word for testify is the Greek word martureo, and it means to utter honorable testimony, to give a good report. Now this, you can tell by the, by the wording of that, of that Greek word that this is where we get our word martyr from. It's like, I didn't need anybody to be a martyr for me. This word martyr is very simply translated, there's a lot of meanings to it, but it's simply translated down to witness. Jesus is saying, I didn't need any of these people to bear my witness because I have a witness that matters. The only witness that matters is my heavenly father. And I've come to the earth to do my father's bidding. And if you don't think I'm doing the right thing on this earth, then you need to talk to dad. <laughs> so number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Know which witness matters. Because as you live your life, you have a lot of witnesses. A lot of people watching you live your life, watching how you live your life. And the more people that you have watch, watching you live your life, the more people there are that think they know how you should live your life. Okay? So you must come to this understanding, us people pleasers, and if you're not a people pleaser, take a nap, you're good. Us people pleasers 
have to come to this realization that what my father sees me do is more important than what you see me do. Because you only see this much of my whole life of perspective. But I know that my father sees my whole life. He, he sees my whole heart. You see this much of my heart. My father in heaven sees this much of my heart. Why would I be so obsessed over you who knows this much about me and not concerned about what God thinks about me who knows this much of me? I need to focus in on the right witness. And if you don't think God is watching you all the time, let me just quickly give you some support. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, not, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give account. Job 28.24 says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Jeremiah 16.17 says, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me. I, uh, I remember this one time, all the way back to junior high, I have a hard time, I don't have a great memory, you can ask my wife, I forget things uh, often, but I have this very vivid memory of junior high basketball, playing basketball in junior high, and I was kind of going halfway, you know, I wasn't going hard, I was just kind of, it was boring, we were running through fundamental drills, and you know, I kind of had the spirit of Allen Iverson on me, I'm like, we're talking about practice, you know. So we're doing left-handed layups, and I had one of those coaches that's like, hand behind the ball, no finger rolls, you know. And so we're running through these, these, these drills, and out of the corner of my eye, in walks the seventh grade cheerleaders. <laughs> Fellas. So I went into full-on show-off mode. Full on between the legs, finger rolls, spin moves. They, I don't think they were even watching me, but just in case. Just in case. And my, my coach blows the whistle. He calls me over to the bench and he says, Jonathan, you guys didn't know my name was Jonathan, did you? Don't call me that, by the way. Only my mama, mama can call me that. Jonathan, I know that you saw those cheerleaders walk in. And I noticed that you started playing differently. But I want you to know that unless you start playing the way that I'm telling you to play, you won't be playing at all. I wonder if sometimes we get distracted in life trying to play by the rules of someone else's expectations of us while the, really the only true witness that matters in the first place is like, why are you doing the opposite of what I asked you to do you're going completely against what I asked you to do to impress people, catch this, that probably aren't even watching you anyways. We, we, spend, we spend money we don't have to impress people we don't even like, right? So we go out of our way to live this life to please people when really there's only one witness that matters. Watch this, 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. I think Paul even struggled with this. There's this, this part, part in 1 Corinthians where he says that I carry upon me the burden of all of the churches. He's saying, I got a lot of people pulling at me, a lot of expectations, a lot of territories, a lot of churches, a lot of responsibility. But then in Galatians chapter one, verse 10, he says, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. 
Okay? He goes on to say, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He's saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be driven by this goal or by this thing to please people. So, so write this down. This is really important. Write this down. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Okay? And I know for us people pleasers, that is a, that is a hard thing to, to really receive, but it's, it's the truth. Okay. Number four. Write this down. Know which approval matters. So if we're going to seek approval... We should know which approval matters. So in this story, John chapter 2, that we're, that we're talking about, Jesus has this crazy boldness, doesn't he? He's like, I don't need your witness. I don't care what you think. I'm good. I'm secure in myself. And if you go and read all of chapter 2, this is the very beginning of his ministry. In, in, in the beginning of chapter 2, he's flipping over tables in the temple. Like, this dude is bold. He don't care what anybody thinks. He's flipping over tables. This is where he goes to the, to the wedding and turns the water into wine. He's, he's full-on ministry mode. Full-on ministry mode. So as I was reading this, I'm like, what? Now, remember, yes, we would say, well, he's God. Well, but he's also fully man. Fully man, carrying this faith and this boldness. If you go back one chapter, I believe in chapter 1, which we've been talking about this some, gives us a sneak peek into part of where he got this boldness. Chapter 1, verse 32 says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. So we know this. We, I preached a sermon on it. This is the moment where Jesus is getting baptized. He comes up out of the water. The heavens split open. A dove descends and rests on him. John's account says that it remained on him, that it wasn't just a one-time encounter. He didn't want you to think that the Holy Spirit showed up that day, but then the next day it was like, well, that was nice. I guess it's gone. The Holy Spirit remained on him. Okay? So Matthew's account of this same story we covered a few weeks ago, Matthew 3.17 says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Please catch that before Jesus ever did anything in chapter 2, he was approved of in chapter 1. So he didn't have to earn anything. He didn't have to perform. He didn't have to please anyone. He didn't have to please any. The reason he was so bold in chapter two is because in chapter two, he didn't need anyone's approval because in chapter one, he got the approval of the only one that mattered. His heavenly father said, you're my son. I'm proud of you. If you never do anything else, I, I accept you. I receive you as you are. The Lord does the same for us. We get to call him Papa, Abba Father. We're his sons and his daughters. The best way to get rid of the act of people pleasing in our life is to know that we're accepted by our Heavenly Father, even if every person on earth rejects us. I'm accepted. I'm accepted. I receive the love of a father. Uh, Here's the question we, we, we have to ask ourselves over and over again. I have to ask myself this question repeatedly. Does the Father's acceptance mean more than people's acceptance? Do, um, do what they think about me, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, <laughs> do what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit think about me mean more to me than what them think about me? Okay. This is, this is really this tug of war within us. So Luke chapter 6, I like what this says. This is a warning from Luke in, in chapter 26. The message Bible reads, There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth 
contests. Look how many scoundrel, holy cow, look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by their ancestors. Watch. Your task, your mission impossible. Should you choose to accept it, your task is to be true, not popular. If you want to be popular, you will have to be a people pleaser. You have no other choice. I want to be true to what my heavenly father says about me and calls me to do on this earth. These are my values. These are my parameters. And if I disappoint you in the process of me living a life for God that he's called me to live, I am so sorry that I've disappointed you. This will get this people pleaser mentality out of us. Let me read you one more. John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, nevertheless, many, even the rulers, believed in Jesus. So it's saying the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess him. So the rulers were like, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I think he's awesome. Oh, here comes the Pharisees. Shh. It's not. Shh. We, we want to stay in the synagogues. So even though we believe in Jesus, let's just keep it on the down low so we can stay in the synagogue. It says that they, they, that they loved where did I get lost? For fear, well, I'm going to go back to my notes, okay? Even the rulers believed in him, but because the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. And here's why. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So this is this, um, let me tell you my struggle, because this is not a cut and dry issue. This is not just like, hey, let's all just stop being people pleasers. We're good? Okay, let's go home. Because you can take this thing too far to either side. Michelle and I, um, this past, past weekend, we were in Maine celebrating our 20-year wedding anniversary. It was a great time. And uh, they would have these low tides and high tides. It's beautiful there. And when the, the, the low tide come, they said that the tides would change anywhere from 10 to 15 feet. So we go to this place and we're trying to look at this, um, this uh, lighthouse that was built in the 1850s. And so we're trying to get out on the shore to get a good view of it and good pictures of it. But the tide had gone out, so all these rocks were exposed. And we were stepping on these rocks trying to get as far out as we could, but they were slippery. And on one side is like plummet to my death with rocks, and the other side is plummet to the ice cold waters of, of, of the North Atlantic. And so we were constantly like, well, I don't want to fall this way, and I don't want to fall this way. Can I tell you, people-pleasing, the people-pleasing business is a slippery slope, okay? One that you don't want to fall too far to either side because both sides are dangerous. If I, fall too si if I fall too far to the side of not caring what people think, I'll be a jerk. God can't use me. I can't, be, I can't have any empathy for anyone. Anybody asks me for anything, I'm like, nope, not pleasing people today. Sorry. You know, we can slip to side to where God can never use us. We're supposed to be servants as Christians, you know. We're supposed to move beyond ourselves and serve other people. So I can't slip too far that side, but I can't slip too far this side that I become so consumed by what people think about me that I drive myself and my marriage and my family into the ground. And I sacrifice myself or my family on the altar of ministry. Both sides are slippery. Which is why I'm convinced more than ever what Jesus experienced in John chapter 1 when it says the Holy Spirit came and descended on him and remained. Do you know what you need every day? You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit every day to convict me in the moment. Holy Spirit, 
Is this something I need to meet their expectation? Or is this something I need to lean the other way? If I begin to lean this way, I may need to say, no, I need to counterbalance. I'm not going to go that way. I need to stay on the rock. I need to stay on Jesus. I need to remain where God's calling me to be. And I need the Holy Spirit to help me understand which way to lean on any given day and not be a people pleaser. Um, I fear that in, in some ways the church has become prey to this. Uh, I wrote these, these thoughts down. Becoming obsessed with what people think about me is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about me. And the quickest way, um, uh, the, the being obsessed with what God thinks about me is the quickest way to forget what people think about me, right? So even in the church, we've, we've, we've fallen prey to this. The church, me, not you, the leadership of churches all around the country have put you guys in a situation where we have told you over and over again that, that we're here for you. And we are. We want to, pastors want to serve their flock. We're shepherds. We should serve, serve our sheep. But even in the way that the, the verbiage, the, the terminology we use, uh, there was a time where we used to call these church services. And then several years ago, probably 10 years ago, there was this sweeping term that came through that we're not calling them services anymore. They're now worship experiences. It's an experience. It's where you can come and experience God. And I hope you do, and I hope you get something out of it. But even in that term, even in using that term, we've turned worship um, that's supposed to be a verb into a noun. And we'll say things like, how was worship today? Eh, it was okay. The worship leader was out of town, and we had the second guy. It was, it was okay. It wasn't that great. How was the sermon today? Eh. I've heard better. I listened to a podcast this week that was, that was a lot better. When really the only person we should be asking how was the worship today is God. I, I think that if we ask God on Sunday afternoons, how was my worship today? He'd be like, eh. It was okay. The, ch the church, us, the leadership of the church, it's our fault. I'm not getting on to you. We have turned you into judge, jury, and executioner of church. And church has become something that we get to sit in the pews and judge as to whether or not it was good enough. And we would come to church and say, what am I going to get out of church today? Instead of saying, I got something to give today. I got a sacrifice of praise. I don't care what, who's singing or what the song is. I don't care what clown is preaching on the, on the, on the stage. I'm coming today with my worship because God is, a, is, 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 is worthy of my praise. I got a sacrifice of praise to give today. It's a total shift in the way we should think about approaching church. Some of you are thinking right now, it's 12.08. When are we going to finish? I got to get on. And I get that. We want to be respectful of time. But we should come to church with this idea of, oh, I can't wait to, to give a sacrifice of praise. In the Old Testament, they would build altars as, as forms of worship, and they would burn incense on these altars. And it was in, 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 in Numbers, in Genesis, it says that, or the, the, the smoke rising, and the smell of the offering, it, it says that God would smell it, and the aroma was a sweet aroma to his nostrils. What were they doing? They were giving a sacrifice. They were sacrificing an animal, and it was a sacrifice of worship. Jesus comes to this earth, dies for our sins. Hebrews says we have boldness to enter into the throne room. Now our sacrifice 
is our praise. And I wonder if God has any aroma after our church services. I wonder if he smells our praise. I wonder if he smells our sacrifice of praise. Can we stand to our feet for just one second? We have a little bit of time here. I I would like to just give us an opportunity to give God a sacrifice of praise. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word worship is a term that means serve, a service. It's a sacrifice. You know what sacrifice is, right? A sacrifice means it's got to cost you something. It's got to cost you something. David wanted to, to, to build an altar. He wanted to buy a piece of land, and he wanted to buy a piece of land. And he said, I'll, I'll buy this. But no, you just have the land, David. He said, no, I will not take something that does not cost me something. What is it going to cost you? It's going to cost you your time. We may worship for three or four or five more minutes. You're like, well, that's not that big of a sacrifice. I agree, but it's a sacrifice. You may have to sacrifice your pride and raise your hands. You never raised your hands before. You may need to get on your knees. That's a sacrifice for you. Your family has never seen you get on your knees before. Your family heard you say 15 cuss words about an hour ago, and you're not sure that you should be worshiping anything right now. You got to get over that pride and worship the one that's forgiven you for every sin that you've done, is doing, and are going to do. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's got to cost you something. At the nine, we had people that were like, I got to leave my seat and come to the altar. That's my sacrifice. I got to do something and not care what anybody thinks about me. This is my sacrifice of praise. I'm coming to the altar and falling on my knees, God. I just want to challenge us for just a minute. We don't have to belabor this, but can we just, come on, can we just close our eyes, Edmund Campus, OKC? Can we just lift our hands for just a second? Maybe that's uncomfortable for you. If that's uncomfortable, that's a sacrifice. So, Father, we give you a sacrifice of praise. Forgive us for making church in our lives about ourselves instead of what we can bring. Yes, you're a good God, and you're going to give us. You're a good, good, loving, giving God. But I got something to give too, God. I brought something that I want to give you today, Father. And if you never did anything else for me on this earth, you've done more than enough. We offer you for just a moment, God, be present. Be present, Heavenly Father, as we offer you a sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.